0: Good morning. Good morning. Let me say it again. Hope you're all doing well this morning. My name is Tanner. Uh, I'm one of the youth pastors here at the church and uh, as Pastor Dan Knuths said, we uh, have Pastor Dan Morgan out in Ohio for our Denominations Conference, and so for the next couple of weeks, Dan Knutz and I will be filling in. So uh, one thing before I get into the message, Dan, I, I always complain that people don't listen to me when I do announcements. You may not know that. You might be the people that listen, but uh, I found out today I don't listen to announcements either, because... <laughs> Because Dan told me he made a mistake uh, when he was talking. He apparently, I didn't realize, but you said January 19th is when the men's study starts July 19th. We might be good planners, but we are not that good at planning that we are planning January right now. So July 19th, men, go ahead and sign up for that study. Uh, It'll be a good one, I'm sure. So uh, getting into our message for today want to start by confessing to you my love for revenge stories, okay? I love revenge. I think we all kind of deep down at some level like a good revenge story. You take a, a slight look at your favorite movies, favorite TV shows, your favorite books, if you still read books. I, I like books. It's good to read books. Any anybody love revenge stories there's a lot of them to be read and to be heard about and they're they're all over it's all over because we are hurt people who hurt other people and we also have this strong desire for justice and revenge so we hurt other people and we have a desire for revenge which leads to a vicious cycle of we hurt someone they get revenge we get revenge just goes on and on and on and so that's why we have so many of these stories but they're just kind of satisfying right when you know somebody gets somebody back real good it's there's something that scratches an itch i think in just about all of us because we we love that justice part of us is it's in us and we enjoy watching other people get justice too apparently we like to give or take back to people what they've given or took from us if that makes sense and so I read a revenge story just recently uh, that I didn't know about before and I found it quite interesting I want to talk to you about it for just a minute so after the holocaust was over a group of Jewish survivors gathered themselves together around uh, this kind of self-identity, this name, the Nikam, okay? The Nikam, uh, the word Nakam in Hebrew actually means revenge, okay? So you can see where this is probably going. These Jewish people, there's only about 50 of them, gathered themselves around that name and these were people who were left with just this terrible, terrible weight to carry after the Holocaust was over. They were the ones who made it through. And it wasn't the weight uh, that you would think of necessarily, but they, they now lived in a world where they weren't subject to be forced to live in the ghettos they were before, the concentration camps, all the terrible things they had to go through. That wasn't what they gathered around to make their identity, their identity around. What they were gathering around was the pain and the weight of the fact that they had lost their family, their friends, their spouses, and their children. Okay, That was who made them have the desire to take revenge. Okay, They're dealing with that weight. It's estimated there were six million Jewish people killed during the Holocaust, which is just like, you can't even comprehend that number of people. And so the... The idea behind this group of 50 people who were uh, under the name Revenge was to do something awful, but it made sense to them. Their idea was, we're going to take the lives of 6 million Germans. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a nation for a nation was their mantra that kind of led them to do what they were doing, okay? Okay. So they were out to kill six million Germans. They thought that that would help them to heal, that would help to lift that weight off of them that they had been carrying once the Holocaust was over. You can see where they got the idea, can't you? And they made two major attempts to poison a lot of people, and they never actually succeeded. They were uh, stopped by authorities uh, in their attempts, but there were people uh, just like this group, the Nakam, who did similar things. They were out after the German people because they were still a threat to them, and they were fearful, and also, I think, they were carrying around that weight of, my loved ones have been killed, my children, my spouse was killed, my closest friends were killed, and they didn't know what to do with that weight weight that they were carrying, and so they wanted to take revenge. They thought that that would kind of wipe the slate clean, that they would feel better, they would be able to heal in that way. Another kind of less heavy, more lighthearted example. Uh, I want to give to you uh, today a message about forgiveness. Okay, there's another way to go through our life. There isn't just revenge and hurt others and going through this cycle of revenge hurting others, revenge hurting others. There's another way to do it. So, I'll tell you a story, a few months ago we had an event for our youth group at Flight Zone in town. Have you guys heard of Flight Zone? Uh, I would never been before, but it was amazing. It's just trampolines all over the place and then when we got there I realized I was really excited because there's this dodgeball area, it's enclosed, there's trampolines all over, there's trampolines on the walls so you can bounce off the walls. And I was, I was pumped when I saw that. It's like every 28 year old youth pastor's dream, okay? I was thinking, I'm going to play dodgeball all night. I'm going to be so sore tomorrow, and I was, but I was so excited. And so I, I got there early, obviously waiting for kids to come in, and I was like, I'm going to go in the dodgeball area, call kids over there so that we can play. And I think there was only one kid in there, I think he's here today. <laughs> yeah, he's here today. Uh, there was one kid in there, and I was excited. I was, I was like, I, you guys, I was so excited. And I, I w- was walking into the entrance of the dodgeball area, and I'm pretty sure my foot didn't touch the ground inside, and a dodgeball hit me in the face. <laughs> just, just directly in the face. And, and I used to own two pairs of glasses, and then I only owned one pair of working glasses. Uh, broke the frame. The lenses fall, fell out. Those of you who wear glasses and you've ever tried to like play a sport or anything, you know the deal. It just happens. It's happened to me who knows how many times, but it was funny. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't mad. The kid apologized to me. He's so sorry, and I was like, that was actually pretty impressive because <laughs> the timing, the accuracy, all of it was was pretty amazing. So the kid was apologizing. It was okay. Uh, His mom, he told his parents, his mom was like, I'll buy you new glasses. I was like, it's okay. My wife has been nagging me to get new glasses anyway. It was an old prescription. It's not a big deal. Okay. Um, Here's something about forgiveness. Forgiveness, Leave somebody with a cost, though, okay? Uh, the kid apologized, so, so I forgave for the act. It wasn't a big deal. And then the mom asked if she could buy me a new pair of gla- uh, glasses, and I, I forgave the cost of that, too. If I wanted to go get new glasses, though, I would have to go and pay for that new pair of glasses, right? And forgiveness, and when we hurt each other, even if we forgive, there's still a cost that lands on somebody, right? I think we all kind of understand that when we're hurt... We we bear that cost until we are able to forgive and kind of absorb the cost. But say someone comes over to your house and breaks your $50 lamp, you can say it's all right, but if you want a lamp to go there, you're going to have to go then buy a $50 lamp or tell them, hey, buy me a new lamp, you know. So that cost lands somewhere. It, it, it's... Landing somewhere, and it landed somewhere for me. If I want to go get new glasses, thankfully I have two pairs. But if I wanted to go get a new pair, I'd have to go buy another pair, right? Um, That weight still remains, and so in a way, I forgave that day. I forgave, and I'm not trying to make myself sound all great because what you could probably uh, the what I did the rest of the night playing dodgeball could probably be considered revenge. So I was I was like compressing the ball so it might hurt a little more, you know. Uh, I do care about your children, but that's. I, I had to, you know. Uh, the point is, we do odd and sometimes terrible things when we feel like we're carrying that weight upon us. When we've been hurt, hurtful things have been done to us and we don't know what to do with it. We we do weird things. We go rant on Facebook about the person. We talk behind their back. We, we hold that wrong thing that they did to us in our heart and we ruminate on it and we think about it and we let it uh, like inflame our souls. We just get angry about it. There's things that we do and sometimes we can take it to the degree that we want to take revenge on other people, be vengeful. But Whenever we're left with that feeling that the cost stays with me, uh, even if we try our best to forgive, it's still still just very difficult. It's difficult for me to fully let go of that cost if I feel like I'm the one who's still bearing it. And then uh, enter Jesus and what he teaches. Jesus brings to us and brought to us Uh, an opposing practice to our trigger-happy, revenge-ready hearts, and that's the practice of forgiveness. Uh, If I were to make a dictionary someday, this is how I would define forgiveness. It's, It's the act, or it's the choice, rather, to not collect on a debt that is owed to you by the help of God. Okay, I'm going to say that again. So the choice to not collect on a debt owed to you by the help of God. That could be a spiritual debt, a financial debt, a physical debt, a relational debt. We all, we all know the feeling, right? When you've been wronged, you carry that pit in your heart, and whenever it comes up, the pit comes back, and forgiveness is to not collect on that debt, from that person somehow by the help of God. I was taken aback, honestly, this week as I studied uh, the passage we're going to read today about Jesus' standard around forgiveness. I was I was kind of shocked. We teach forgiveness to the kids and children's ministry. I remember being taught forgiveness, you know, from a very young age. And I think sometimes as we grow, we think we can phase out of those simple ones. But I looked at Jesus, what he said about forgiveness, and I thought, oh man, I need, to, I need to sharpen my focus upon forgiving based on his standard. So this little practice that we teach kids and we take granted for in our adulthood, it's, it's very important to Jesus, should be very important to us. And so things I want to allow the scripture to teach us today are three main things. Why it's a requirement for Jesus that we forgive why is it so hard then, and then how do we find the power to forgive? Those are our three main goals this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 18, verse 21 is where we're going to start. As you're flipping there, I'm going to begin reading, and you can catch up with me in a moment. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. Verse 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 77 times. Or some of your translations might say seven times, 70 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all you, all the debt, of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Verse 35 says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That last line is kind of haunting to me. That's Jesus' standard for forgiveness. Let's look at that whole passage, just work through it chunk by chunk as we go. Verse 21 and 22 uh, talks about that question from Peter, how many times should I forgive those who wrong me? And so depending on who you ask or uh, what who you find as a source for researching this, there are two, two main uh, thoughts about how many times you should forgive somebody in their time, okay? So Peter Peter is working with either a framework of uh, some Jewish people taught that you should only forgive someone three times, and then some thought seven was the max, seven being the number for perfection, as you know, in the Hebrew um, thought. So he's either saying, should I double how much I forgive somebody, how much I'm supposed to forgive somebody, or should I do the right amount? Should I do the perfect amount, that number of perfection. Jesus come, or Peter comes to Jesus with that question thinking, if he's doubling it, he's thinking, okay, I got, I got Jesus here. I'm going to get the right answer, and he asked him the question, but Jesus comes to us and tells us these parables that describe the kingdom of God, and every single place that he talks about the kingdom of God, it's like we can't fathom what it's actually like, and that's what we find here. Jesus has a new standard, not seven times, not three times, 77 times, or seven times 70 times. That's 490 times, okay? Here's an instance where I don't think that Jesus wants us tallying, okay, if somebody wrongs me 400 times, 490 times, by the 491st, I can stop, I can cut off ties, I can be. we can stop dealing with this person. I don't think that's what he's meaning. I'm saying I think what Jesus is saying is you need to forgive far more than you think you ought to, okay? 77 is a lot bigger than 4 or 7, right? 10 times over, or over that. So this explains uh, a new standard, and Jesus doesn't just leave us there. He gives us a parable to understand it too. So the next part of the passage sets the scene. There's a king who's settling accounts, and one of the people who works for him in, in this time, a servant wouldn't have been like a slave necessarily because a slave would never have owed that much money to a king. Okay? And of course, this is a hypothetical thing. This is a, this is a parable. This is a story that Jesus is bringing. And he's settling accounts, and one of the people that works for the king has amassed this giant debt, a huge debt, 10,000 bags of gold. Your translation might say 10,000 talents, in debt to the king one talent is worth 20 years of wages so i'm not going to do the math on that one you can figure it out a man doesn't have enough to to work 20 times 10,000 years right he doesn't have enough time to ever make up that kind of debt it's too much to ever be paid back the solution then was something that was very common in that time you sell off your family. You become, in, in essence, further servants to the king. That's the way that you pay off your debts in that time, was your family members, You, you your family is basically torn apart. You might get to live in the same place, but you are no longer in this uh, level of society. You're, you're a notch lower, maybe far m- further down. And so the only thing that this man knows to do is beg for mercy. More time, he asks, and I'll pay back everything. Again, there's no way. There's no way unless unless he were to somehow become the king, usurp the king, maybe then he'd have that much money, but there's no way he's ever gonna pay it back, even though he says I'll pay back everything. The truth is he could never pay it back. So the king in this parable is obviously God. God forgives our debt. The king forgave the servant's debt that he would never be able to pay back. You and I only have a relationship with God. We only have the potential of a relationship with God because Jesus is willing to forgive us. God is willing to be merciful to us because of the way Jesus lived his life, died, and rose again. And so the king in the parable takes pity on him, extends mercy. Great mercy to him, and he extends, and this is to teach us that God extends great mercy to us too when he forgives us. The king cancels the debt just like that. No paying him back, no selling his family. It's canceled. It's forgiven. Verse 28 through 34. Turns out that the servant who is forgiven has somebody that owes him a little bit. Way less than he owed the king, right? And so because he learned such a great lesson from the king having his debts forgiven, he goes to that man and forgives that measly little debt that he owed him too, right? Wrong. He's a person. He, he's broken and he likes to be paid what he's owed. He's broken, but he likes justice. He wants to be paid for what he is owed. And so he goes and he confronts the man. He is violent, Even though the man brings the same claim to him, I promise I'll pay everything back. Give me some time. Give me some mercy. He throws him into jail and says, not until you pay me back. There's no forgiveness. I'm carrying this weight. It's your weight to carry. Until you give me what is owed me, you are going to be in jail until you pay it all back. Then verse 35 comes. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The man didn't forgive, and the king reinstates the whole debt back upon his shoulders. Because he treated his fellow servants so unmercilessly, the king re-takes back his canceling, his forgiving, and places that weight back upon the man. And this seems kind of weird to us, and we'll walk through what it all means. But verse 35, it just rings in my ears. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is what C.S. Lewis said. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. What Jesus is effectively saying is if you don't forgive the inexcusable in others— the inexcusable in you is not going to be forgiven. It's a hard truth to swallow. This probably sends alarms off in your mind like it did mine. I'm, pa- I'm saved by grace, right? I'm saved by faith alone in Jesus. I've read Paul Jesus, right? Like Paul says, I'm saved by faith alone in Jesus. And it's by the blood of Jesus that I'm saved, justified, sanctified before the Lord. Nothing can take away my salvation because it's through faith. But Jesus says... If you don't forgive, my Heavenly Father will take away that forgiveness. All those claims in your head that may be going off, I'm saved by faith, are all true. But it's clear that Jesus is placing our ability to forgive as a crucial marker for where we're at with God. It's very important that he directly connects these two things, the, the ability of us to forgive and God's willingness to forgive us. Those things are connected if I'm able to forgive, God's willing to forgive. If I'm unable to forgive, that is a mark of somebody who is not at one with God and therefore does not have the forgiveness of the Father. Let's walk through the applications, the three things that I talked about before. But what we need to realize is the goal for you and I, as people who are hurt and were broken— and we like justice, we like revenge, the goal for us needs to be this, that we become someone who is forgiving by nature because people who are forgiving by nature without limit are at one with God. They're the people who are drawing on God's power to do what they're doing, to forgive the inexcusable in others. But it's hard, and we need so, so much, so much help. So why is it so necessary that we forgive? Hopefully you're convinced just by that one parable about Jesus standard for forgiveness. But if not, I want to reference to you one more place where Jesus is talking about forgiveness. It's right after Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6:14. Says this. This is directly after the Lord he teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you or trespass against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, your Father will not forgive yours. If you don't forgive the ways others hurt you, your Father will not forgive yours. Let me try to illustrate what I think Jesus is asking of us in regard to this forgive or you won't be forgiven business. Because it, it's, it's just, it's for me, in my head, as I was studying this, it was like trying to fit a square peg through a round hole, right? Or is it a round? It's a square peg through a round hole. Either way, it doesn't work, right? One of the ways it doesn't work. It's, it's hard, but let me try to illustrate it to you. So I, I'm, I consider myself the kind of person who I pick up trash when I see it, and when I am walking along a path and I see a little trash there, I try to be the kind of person who picks up the trash, takes it, throws it away myself, Okay? The other day, I was walking my dog though, and uh, I saw a piece of trash a little ways away, and I chose to just walk on home and not pick it up, okay? So do you consider me the person that ki- kind of person that picks up trash? Maybe, maybe not. The next day, I was walking my dog the same route. We walk across this little empty lot by our house to get to the walking path, and the same plastic bag was sitting there, and that day, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go pick up the bag. So you may not, but I consider myself the kind of person that picks up trash when I see it. How do we equate this with forgiveness? Jesus says two things to us, right? He says that if you forgive, if you don't forgive, rather, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. But he also says you're saved by my blood alone, by faith alone, okay? Those are the two things that conflict in my mind. They're probably conflicting in your mind too. So we've got to try to make sense of those two things that seem to oppose. Because if I have faith in God, but I leave some debt that is owed to me, some unforgiveness in my heart, if I leave it there, it's, it's Jesus saying that I'm not going to be forgiven, therefore I won't have salvation. And so we've got to make sense of these two things. Here's the thing, when I see the trash on the side of the road, I don't, I don't in spite and in anger at the people who must have left the trash there go, I'm not going to pick it up. It's not my weight to carry. It's not my problem. That trash wasn't mine. I didn't make that trash. I didn't eat whatever was in it. I didn't drink whatever was in that bottle. I'm not going to pick it up. We could all do that. And we do that when we've got problems with other people, right? We expect people always to be coming to us to make, up, make things up to us. And we hardly ever take it upon ourselves, the responsibility to become the kind of person who forgives, making it a habit to forgive. And so here's how I see this working. We can't think of, okay, I need to forgive as a legalistic thing, right? Right? It's not that if you leave one person unforgiven in your life, that box is left unchecked at the end of your life. Jesus goes, ah, you didn't forgive that one thing that that one person said to you that bugged you that one time, okay? Jesus wants us to become the kind of people who willingly and just naturally forgive, it's not that we have to be legalistic about forgiving people. It's that we become forgiving people. We have been forgiven greatly, like the man in the parable. We need to forgive greatly. We need to be willing to do that. So when you have that nagging weight upon you because of what your spouse or what your coworker, or your boss or your friend said, are you the kind of person that forgives that debt or do you secretly or clearly make it obvious to them that they got to make it up to you somehow? They've got to come and uh, kind of grovel before you or somehow make it up to you, bring you a gift or something like that. Is that how you are? Or do you naturally grow to a place where you forgive? Forgiveness is hard, right? It's not a natural thing for us, I think. It's not a natural thing to reconcile and be be the one to step into that icky feeling space and be the one who absorbs the cost i think it's jesus requirement for us though that we be the kind of people who forgive when it's clear to you that a debt exists forgive this is the mark of someone who is drawing on god's power and is who who is reliant on on god's uh, justice system It's the kind of person that you are and are becoming that is important. Not that you check a legalistic box, I forgave, there I can wipe my hands clean and move along. If you do it that way, you're probably not going to get the healing you want. It's not heart forgiveness. If you forgive from your heart, you're going to have peace. We're going to talk about that a little more. But there is a necessity upon forgiving, Jesus says there's a necessity on it. It's, it's your eternity at stake. That's how necessary it is. But why is it so difficult? A couple of different reasons. I think we have baked into us a desire for justice. I think I've been talking about it. I think that desire for justice baked into us is a part of God's image upon us. Our God is a just God, He, he judges perfectly, though. We don't judge perfectly, and also we we cause all the problems. We're the problem, and we think we're the solution. We ought not be the solution. The image of God is stamped upon us. And every time we sin, every time we hurt somebody, there's a spiritual and a relational cost that somebody bears. Somebody broke the glasses, somebody's got to buy the glasses, right? Somebody broke the lamp, somebody's got to buy the lamp. The Nakam thought... All of our family was killed. Six million of us. Somebody's got to pay for those six million lives. The Germans are going to be the ones to do it. There's a spiritual and relational cost, and it started with Adam and Eve. Their cost when they sinned was separation, spiritually, relationally, from God. But we have that... Lingering desire for justice in us. And I think that's from God. I know it's from God, in fact. So there's, there's that phrase, an eye for an eye. Have you ever heard it? It's actually in the Bible. Did you know that? It's part of God's law. You can look it up in Deuteronomy or in Exodus. Can't remember where. Go find it for yourself. It'll be a fun little uh, task for you. Eye for an eye. It's a legal thing. It's, it's similar punishment for something you've done to somebody else. That's what you deserve is to be punished to that level. That's in us. It's interesting that we actually find like legal documents that predate the Bible where people had already made up that law, though. What that tells me is not that, oh, the Bible's made up, it drew on all these other sources. What it tells me is that our desire for justice has always been in us. Since Adam and Eve, we've known those two knew that there needed to be justice in our world. So an eye for an eye was one of the ways that it worked. And because it's in Scripture, we know that in some instances, that is a good way to have payments for what you have done wrong. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Second reason it's so hard, there's one, we have a desire for justice too. We have a tendency to make hurt our identity. This one could be its own message in and of itself, okay? We, we make hurt our identity. We can, but we really, really, really ought not make hurt our identity. What The things that hurt us most deeply in this life can, can shift into the primary identity spot, shifting out our identity as a child of God. And when that is the case... It's nearly impossible to forgive because if I were to forgive for the hurt that is my identity, my identity would just be extinguished like that. So people hold on to the hurt and they never move on from being, a, being able to forgive, okay? Your, your wounds that you carry, your costs that you carry on yourself when you're hurt is meant to be like a wound on your body, okay? Our, our bodies are incredible. When they're working properly, if you have a cut on your skin, your skin grows back and it heals up, Right? And there's a scar usually left. I've got this pretty amazing scar right here. You probably can't see it, but it's a big V right there that I got in my glory days in sixth grade football. So if you ever want to see it, it's kind of, it's not noticeable though. It's this huge gash in my arm that the day it happened was traumatic. I passed out. It was terrible. Had to go get stitches and stuff. But today I don't even know—it's notice it's there. It's not even a part of my life anymore. Here's what we need to learn. When we apply the balm of forgiveness to our hurts in this life, they'll heal. And that scar will heal over. And someday it's possible that you might not even realize it's there. And, and maybe it'll even go a step further. God might redeem it a step further and it might be a cool story. Sometimes I lie to people and say I got bit by a shark. It was just football. It looks like a shark bite though. I joke with them. I eventually tell them it's football, you know. So... Scars are meant to, or wounds are meant to become a scar. If you let that wound fester, though, what happens? You're opening yourself up to infection. When you let yourself remain bitter, it says in Scripture that you give the devil a foothold. His, His, I bet Satan just loves it when we give him that little foothold of bitterness. We leave the wound open a little bit. He loves it even more if we make our primary identity our pain. He loves it because it's taking our, our identity that we're supposed to have as children of God away, and it's going to wreak havoc in all areas of our life. If you look up, just Google today forgiveness, you're going to get articles from medical schools about how how it's necessary to forgive as a wellness thing. Okay, People who don't even have any sense of what God is and what he wants from us, they even realize you need to forgive in this life if you want to be a healthy physically person, emotionally healthy physical person. You are. You need to forgive. It's a crazy thing. But if you let it fester, it can infect everything. So we have desire for justice. We make hurt our identity. And lastly, why it's so hard is I think shallow forgiveness is far easier than heart forgiveness to attain. Here's what shallow forgiveness looks like. It's bitterness persisting. I leave that door open for the devil to come in. I, I just remain angry about it. I think about it all the time. I bring it up to that person who hurt me. I bring it up to other people. I bring it up to Facebook. I bring it up to whoever I talk to on the phone every week. I bring it up to my coworkers. Not only that, when I'm alone, I bring it up to myself, and when something triggers the thought about what that person said or did to me, I think about it and think about it and think about it, and I let it fester, I ruminate on it, and it's like I meditate on the pain that I have. And if you forgive, you can still do all that stuff. You can say in your mind, I, forgive, I forgave that person, but if you're doing all that other stuff, you have not made a choice. Remember my definition, and I think what is the right part of the definition, is forgiveness needs to be a choice. If you've made a choice to forgive, part of that choice needs to be you leave all those other things behind. So here's what heart forgiveness, those are Jesus' words, are. If we could try to think of what heart true forgiveness is like, this is what it'd be like. We, we eventually find peace. Eventually. Okay? we've all tried to forgive and still felt that weight in our hearts, weight of the cost of the pain that we're carrying around. I'm sure all of us have thought we've forgiven and, and felt that weight. And then it makes you lose your uh, desire to forgive anybody else, kind of, doesn't it? If you still feel that ickiness after you've felt like you forgave somebody. Here's something that I heard that I thought was so true and so good. It's that forgiveness needs to be granted before it's felt. We've got to grant it before we feel it. If you're waiting for the day that you're ready to forgive that person for what they did, probably is not going to come, especially if you're letting those thoughts just spin around in your mind, talking about it, letting it be your identity. You're not going to find a day where you're ready to forgive that person. It needs to be granted before it's felt, and that way you have the possibility of finding peace. Heart forgiveness means you leave it alone, too. You don't bring it up to the person again, you don't bring it up to people behind their back, and you don't bring it up to yourself. When it comes to mind, it's naturally going to come to our mind, right? And Satan will go, remember that? Remember that thing they said to you? Remember that thing that they did to you that is, is your identity? It was your identity once, that hurt that they did to you. Do you remember that? Someone who has chosen to forgive, though, will not allow that thought to persist. We cut it off. Cut it off. Don't go there. Move along. That's what heart forgiveness is like, and it's so much harder to achieve than shallow forgiveness. We can say in our heads all day long, oh, I forgave that thing. But if you're doing those things, if you're letting yourself dwell upon it, think about it all the time, talk about it all the time, I'm not so sure that's what forgiveness really is. You're not the kind of person who's going to find that forgiveness because does God do that to us? Does God constantly bring accusations to you about the things that you've done? If you think he does, I would encourage you to analyze it because I think that's a lie. I think God, once things are forgiven, once we are forgiven, he cuts it off. It's, it's no more discussion about those sins that I was so deep in. Jesus' blood is powerful enough for him to go, I'm done talking about it. It's forgiven. Don't do it again. Right? Who accuses? Who constantly brings it up? When we carry around that weight and we think about it, we talk about it all the time, we are playing the part of our enemy in this life. And that's why we get this cycle of, I need justice, I was hurt, and then I hurt somebody. And I need justice, I was hurt, I hurt somebody. That's how we get that. So where do we find the power? How do we get out of this loop? Where do we find the power to forgive that person in your life who's damaged you most? Where do you find the power to forgive your coworker who said that thing, or the boss who bulldozes you every single week of your life, it seems like? How do you find the power to forgive your parent? to forgive your spouse, to forgive your child who's doing things they know hurts you, but they don't care? How do you forgive your best friend or your former best friend? How do you forgive the teacher that told you that thing, the coach who benched you, the stranger who threw away a statement at you that you can't let go? How do you forgive those things? Forgiveness can feel like we just have to swallow it, right? I think that's been my personal image of what forgiveness is like for a long time. A lot of times in my life, I just feel like, okay, i got to forgive. That means that weight that I'm feeling, I've just got to bear it and just hope I don't crumble underneath it. I'm just going to swallow it, not talk about it. That's what true forgiveness is like. I think that's what I've thought it's like but I still would walk around with that heaviness in my heart and it's so difficult. So I'm here to not blindly urge you to forgive in the sense of just swallow it, move along. That's the Christian thing to do. I don't think that's the Christian thing to do at all. I don't think that's heart forgiveness. I'm here I'm here to urge you to seek God's help, his power in your forgiveness. That's the key part of that definition. We do we don't collect the debt by the power of God, by the help of God. Your eternity is what's at stake. And so here's, here's the thing. Being vindictive and full of bitterness, that leads to wanting that revenge. That's fully and unopposedly contradictory to life in God's kingdom. If I'm the kind of person that can't forgive, I'm not going to like God's kingdom if I only ever seek out justice because that's the only way for me to get this weight off my shoulders, the kingdom is not going to be very fun to me. There's going to be people there who hurt you and hurt other people and it's not going to make sense. You wouldn't enjoy you wouldn't enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? You'd go, why is that person there? Don't you, God, don't you remember that thing that they said to me? As always, we need to look to Jesus for a couple things. What does he model for us? Do you remember Jesus' words on the cross? What does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In that that scenario, he's talking about the, the literal soldiers who are the ones crucifying him. In a larger sense, he's talking about all of us though, right? He forgives. He forgives the literal person who drove the stakes in, drove the spear into his side. He forgives in that way. Drawing on... His heavenly Father's power, drawing on the Holy Spirit's power to forgive in that moment. If somebody in that kind of scenario can forgive, you and I can forgive for a little comment by a stranger that they didn't even know what they're saying. I'm, I'm sure of it. And as always, Jesus doesn't call us to do something without promising to help us do it. To forgive is the mark of someone who's at one with God. To forgive is the mark of someone full of the Holy Spirit. To forgive is the mark of someone drawing on his power, trusting in his system of justice. God is a just God. We need to trust in that when we think about forgiveness. He will make all things that are wrong right one day. So if you are the power behind your attempts to forgive, I'm here to try to explain this morning that you're probably only going to be able to achieve shallow forgiveness, You're probably going to ruminate on it all the time. You're going to think about it all the time. You're going to want to talk about it. That's if you're going to forgive in your own power. If you can... Draw on God's power, if God is the power behind your ability to forgive, I think heart forgiveness that gives you peace in the end is a possibility. And that's what I want to encourage you toward today. Because the kind of people who forgive will one day find themselves forgiven at the end of time or the end of our lives. That's where we all want to be, right? That's our goal. That's the goal for us. If you're here, I'm assuming that's your goal. Finding ability, the ability to Heart forgive people is what we've got to do then. So here's what I want to leave you with before we pray and close today. The inexcusable has been forgiven in you. Can you now turn and with the power of God behind you, in you, through you, forgive the inexcusable that's been done to you. It's my prayer you'll allow God to search your heart find those places, not in a legalistic way, but just, just to make you into a kind of person who forgives. That's what we're after. That's what I'm after personally. That's what I hope that we are all after. When we forgive that tearing of the fabric every time we hurt people of our, of our existence, when we forgive, it kind of melds back together. That's what the kingdom will be like. It'll be fully, fully together. There won't be division, there won't be disunity, there won't be hurt, trouble, and we need forgiveness to achieve that. So, Dan, you can come and pray, and we'll be done
1: for the day. Do you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. Sometimes that truth is uncomfortable. And maybe a little bit hard to deal with and get into a perspective that we need to find. Before the service today, Lord, I prayed that the words that we sang during worship would be a help to us. Now, you reminded me of one of the songs that we sang during the worship set today, Lord. was, Lord, I need you. Every day, I need you. And I pray for a person that might be sitting in here this morning or listening to this message online who is battling with this idea of forgiveness. This is a hard topic. Help them to remember not to try to do it in their own strength. They can't. They need you. They need your help to fulfill what you've called them to do. That's the grace. That's the gospel, Lord. So as we work through this conversation, help us to remember this. We are saved by grace, but we did not deserve it. You extended grace to us through the cross that we did not deserve. Help us to be a people who are willing to extend grace to those who don't deserve it as well. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.